There are some things in the physical world which we take for granted will be the same day by day. Throw something up in the air and unless some other force acts upon it, it will come down again. Climb onto a wall and jump off it. Go up in an aeroplane and jump out of it. Bounce up in the air off a trampoline. And unless something else interferes, you're only going in one direction, and that's down again. Hit a ball with a racket or with your foot. Bowl a bowling ball towards the pins. Strike the cue ball against the others in snooker. And you are guaranteed of a certain type of reaction. And you can even alter that reaction by causing the ball to spin. The degree of accuracy, of course, depends upon your own level of skill and your technical ability. But you'll see the reaction to all of those things. And these things are possible because in the world of physics, there are always certain reactions to certain types of actions, forces which generate movement in a certain direction. Some things will accelerate, some things will slow down. Energy gets transferred from this to that. Sometimes friction or heat is produced and so on. And this applies to all those fairly basic things like how you hit a ball or falling through the air, all the way through to the extremely complex, such as the world of cosmology, where you study how it is that the whole universe hangs together. Well, as much as our little minds are able to grasp these things anyway. Or down at a molecular level in materials science and the baffling world of quantum mechanics, whatever on earth that is. And if you've ever studied these things, to any degree, even at the most basic level at high school, you'll know that there are certain things in the realm of science, it's not always the case, but there are many things in the realm of science, they're so predictable, they can be calculated with such consistency and accuracy that we have come to describe them as being governed by laws. Because that always happens, or as far as we can see. Of course, for those of you who went to school, you'll have learned about the laws of motion, uh, which clever Isaac Newton worked out. Not that he invented them, but he worked how to define them and calculate them. Sometime later, men like Einstein come along and take things onto a whole new level altogether. And that's not even beginning to mention things like electricity and magnetism and light. Is it waves? Is it particles? Is it both? Who knows? And all the other branches of physics that can be studied. But all of those kinds of studies are possible because in the main, in the world of physics, it's not a world 
of random happenings and haphazard unpredictability. If only the rest of our lives were like that. But we know only too well that it feels a lot of the time that apparent randomness and total unpredictability seem to sum up so much of our life experience. Some years ago, and those of you of a certain age will remember this, there used to be a series of TV adverts for a car company on the telly. And it ran with the slogan, if only everything in life was as reliable as a Volkswagen. That's Volkswagen in English. Of course, a few years later, we discovered that VW's emissions figures were not as reliable as they like to have claimed. But that's another story. If only things were so reliable. And there are many things in the world of science which can be, they can be calculated with considerable betting are such big business. What are the odds? Who knows? But I want you to notice something that is absolutely staggering that is said about Jesus at the end of verse 56 of Mark chapter 6. As many as touched him were made well. In other words, all who touched him were made well from the whole surrounding region the word has got round and they're bringing they're, they're just lining people up in the marketplace you, you can hardly move there's just people everywhere lots of them lying down on beds because they've been carried because they're so ill or disabled because they've heard about this Jesus All who touched him are being made well. Have you noticed that to find that kind of consistency, and in a man, is in rather short supply in the world? You don't get that kind of consistency in people. But you do in Christ. You see, a little bit like the laws of physics, which we can depend upon day by day. There is a person who, the Bible tells us, is the same yesterday, today, forever. He does not, he will not change. That's a big deal in this world when we're constantly being knocked by shocks and things we never thought would happen to us and of course this one who is the same yesterday today and forever is the author and creator and sustainer of the world of physics this Jesus who we read of in the Bible is the same today and he's the same forever and when you consider what he was able to do, when you consider what it was that he taught, 
when you consider what is said to be the reason for his death and resurrection, when you consider what is said about his coming again and what will happen then, these things make him someone who you cannot afford to ignore. Now, the opening chapters of Mark's gospel are filled with miraculous accounts of Christ's authority over both the natural and the spiritual world. There are healings. There's the casting out of demons. He calms the storm. He raises the dead. He uses a boy's picnic lunch to feed thousands. And here's the thing that is brought to a conclusion at the end of chapter 6 that all who touch him are made well. And I want to consider with you this evening a couple of questions. And these are potentially, potentially life-changing questions. Number one, do you know that you need to touch him? That's the first question. Second question. Do you know how he may be touched today? And the third question will come right at the end. Number one. Do you know that you need to touch Christ. Let me remind you. When they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognised him. They ran through that whole surrounding region. They began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. We see that those who are seeking to touch Jesus, even to touch just the hem of his clothes, they are those who are sick. Those who can walk bring themselves. Many others being carried by desperate relatives and friends. But the common denominator is plain for all to see. The sick, the disabled, the dying, they all flock to Christ for one reason only. To be made well. They're all too aware of their need now, a few weeks back, we considered the account of the man with leprosy who comes to Jesus. It's in chapter 1. And the, the very obvious but crucial thing, that the man acknowledged his need. He acknowledged the disease that he had. If he'd refused to, done so, to do so, he would never have gone to Christ. But it's because he'd acknowledged his great need that he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognised his urgent need of help. Every man 
and woman and child in this world is in urgent need of Christ's help, in urgent need of Christ's intervention and of the help and intervention that only Christ can bring. Last week we considered the words of Jesus in chapter 7 regarding the state of the human heart. And it's remarkable what he says, that within each of us is the source of all evil and all wickedness because our hearts are fallen, sinful, broken hearts. Hearts which rebel against God. Hearts which reject his truth. Hearts which reject his ways for us. Hearts which do that which seems right in their own eyes, thank you very much, and which couldn't care less, for the most part, what God thinks. And our world is filled with that today. It's happening all around us in this new wave of man-made, man-centred philosophy of life, which has thrown traditional and biblical morality right out of the window. And most people are doing it with unrestrained delight. Because these sinful hearts, as we reminded ourselves, they love darkness rather than light. This sinfulness is a great disease of our soul. And in the same way that physical diseases attack and destroy our bodies, this disease of sin attacks and destroys our spiritual well-being and it's ruined our relationship with the God who made us. Now of course the impact of this sinfulness can be seen in people's lives all around the world and in your street. Broken relationships, chaotic homes, crime of every sort, Greed, exploitation, selfishness, sexual immorality of every type. Those things used to be shameful. Now they're worshipped. The supposed redefining of marriage. Craving after fame. Craving after financial wealth. The abuse of power and authority. All these things. And as this has gathered momentum in recent years, have you noticed, can you not see the connection in this huge surge in mental illness that is gripping Western nations? The abuse of alcohol and drugs as people struggle to cope? Such is the sinfulness of the world that the world dare not make the link between this moral decline which it's promoting and the dramatic rise in things like mental illness in so many, so many children with behavioural problems and in special need of assistance in schools. Now it's not all because of this. Some people have the great need 
Uh, and some of these needs are, are very real and very genuine. But have you not noticed the huge rise across all Western cultures as spirituality and the things of the gospel and the things of Christ and the things of God's word, as the world turns against them, all of these consequences of sin are rising. That's, that's no surprise to us as Christian people. You only have to spend a week in a school listening to parents as they talk about their domestic situation, as you listen to the demands they're making, the complaints they're bringing, the attitudes that they express, and you look at some of those poor kids and you think they don't stand a chance. The world dares not link these kinds of things to moral and spiritual decline. Cannot bring itself to admit such a thing. See, that would make them responsible for it, wouldn't it? But it's no one's fault. No one's to blame. It's an illness. It's a syndrome. Don't blame us. That's the world in which we live. Now, not, not all mental illness, not all behavioural issues are attributable to this. It's been around all the time. But there's been this huge increase. With our Bible open, which teaches us that it is righteousness that exalts a nation. We can see all too well what the effect of openly pursuing unrighteousness is likely to be on a country. And sin results in my personal rebellion against God. Sin results in my personal transgression of his truth. Sin results in my personal transgression of his ways for my life. And that is what has caused literally the unholy mess that we see in society all around us. And because God is so holy and just, sinners bring God's condemnation upon themselves also. Human life and experience is blighted and ruined and degraded and debauched by sin. And this sin brings us under God's judgment, brings us under God's condemnation. It's leading us all towards an eternity of torment. We thought about that this morning where Jesus speaks so clearly a little bit later on in Mark's gospel about the fires of hell that burn forever. That's the penalty that our sins deserve. Of course, many will say that to suggest such a thing, that makes God nothing but a nasty, vindictive monster. How dare he? How could he? But of course, they're just throwing a tantrum, like a child that's desperate to have its own way but can't get it. They want everything on their own terms and reject the rule and authority of God over them. And that is the very essence of sin, the very essence of it. 
But here's the good news of the Bible. God has given full evidence that he is not that vindictive monster that some people want to paint him as. God has demonstrated his own love toward us. God has demonstrated his love for you. That in while you are still in your sin, Christ has died for you. He's shown you how much he loves you. He's rich in mercy, says the Apostle Paul, because of the great love with which he's loved you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's made you alive. He's put you together with Christ in heavenly places. By grace you've been saved through faith. And our passage in Mark's gospel shows us that the people are flocking to Jesus because they can see that he has what they need. He and only he can provide the healing that they so desperately, desperately require. And the message of the gospel is that this same Jesus has the answer for your sin sickness and mine. He's got the answer for it. Such is God's love that he sent his only son into the world to become the sinless God-man who alone is qualified to die in the place of sinners as their substitute. Why would he do that? Love compassion, mercy found in such abundance you cannot even begin to imagine it. When you look at the cross of Christ that we've been singing of this evening, there you see the kindness of God toward you. That he would even send his own son to Calvary. Your sins, though they're like scarlet, can be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be like wool through Christ. And only by means of the Lord Jesus Christ there is forgiveness for sins. There's pardon for sins. And by him the condemnation is lifted and it is gone. And we can be reconciled to God. And all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him. And only by means of him, there is healing for our sinful hearts and our broken lives. In him, who is the same yesterday, today and forever and who will never fail you. In him, you will find a firm and unchanging foundation for your life. Can you not see, like these people did in Mark's day, that you need what only Christ can give. Will you not consider him this evening if you never have before? That you need this Jesus just like they did. If only you might just touch him. So if you can see that you need this Jesus, here's the second question. How may Jesus be touched today? 
we can see and understand what's going on in the Gospels. We can see and understand the people. Well, I just need to get a, get a quick swipe of his, of his tunic as he walks past and that's going to be sufficient. And we can understand this touching that is being spoken of there. But how, how do we connect with Christ today? How, how do we reach out and touch him well, there's a very important lesson that comes out of these gospel accounts. It's not mentioned on every occasion when Jesus healed someone, but it's mentioned enough times for us to realise that it is actually a common thread running throughout his ministry. For example, in chapter 5 of Mark's gospel, we read this. We've considered this already. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She'd spent all that she had, was no better. In fact, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, and she's saying this in her mind and she's saying it in her heart, if only I may touch him I shall be made well and Jesus said to her and I love this daughter isn't that wonderful daughter loved one loved one your faith has made you well go in peace be healed of your affliction. And we read that immediately the woman knew she, she was well on the inside. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we heard this already as well in this little series. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him. Oh, not this one, next one. Um, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him. They cried out saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he came into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And then from the passage that Vin Hesse preached from the other week, Mark chapter 10, we've got blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, teacher, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus down the road. Are you picking up the thread here? And there are other similar accounts where belief or faith are mentioned. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll recall how back in, in chapter 6, a little bit earlier, Jesus is astonished at the level of unbelief that existed amongst the inhabitants of his hometown of Nazareth. And on account of their unbelief, many who might have been healed received nothing. Just a few, just a handful. 
because there was a place that was full of unbelief. Do you see the common thread here? You see, belief and faith are the key. It isn't actually the physical touch. There are plenty of times when no touch took place and people were healed and even raised from the dead. Because physical touching isn't the issue. It's not the reaching out with the hand that Jesus was looking for. It's the reaching out in faith, in the heart and in the mind. That's what he's looking for. Acknowledging their need and trusting in him. That's the answer. Nothing's changed. You don't need to be able to reach out with your hand and grab the hem of his garment. But you must do what they did over their sins. You must believe. You must trust. And you must have faith. This Jesus can deal with my sins. And when I come to him in faith, he will deal with my sins. Actually, the reality is he already has. It was done 2,000 years ago at Calvary. And it was done 2,000 years ago as the disciples came to the tomb on that Sunday morning. And it was empty. He's already dealt with your sins. Now, you may have all kinds of issues in your life that you hope that Jesus can help you with. And I can assure you that if you bring your life under the sovereign lordship of Christ in humble faith and obedience, you will indeed receive his divine help and power for every area of your life. Every area. Now, I can't use the Bible to give promises or make any forecasts as to how the issues that you may have will be resolved. I can't do that. The Bible doesn't give us those kinds of answers. I can't say, if you've got this problem now, trust in Christ, and then six months later, the problem will look like this. I can't do that for you. No one can. But, I can tell you this, there is promised rest for your soul. There is promised help. There is promised strength to endure it. There is promised wisdom to help you to begin to make wise choices and decisions. There is promised grace to enable you to go through that situation without the anger and the bitterness anymore. And there is promised peace for your soul. And it begins with confessed sins and a turning away from them and a turning back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that you can deal with all my sins.
there are people here this evening who need still to touch Christ. And I can tell you this. He longs to make you well. He longs to do it. So here's the question, number three, with which I'm going to close. Will you, today, touch him and be made well?